So we are in the last week of our series called Better Together. Uh, We've been looking at this ever since the turn of the new year. And I really hope that it's inspired you to understand how we as a community really are better together. We as the church are better when we are together on mission. And Colin described the church as a community on mission. We've looked at a whole range of topics. And this morning we're going to be finishing off the series by looking at how we are better together as a local church by how we serve one another in love. And of course, how we serve isn't just limited to inside the family of God. See, we are called to use our skills, our gifts, our passions and our talents to extend the kingdom of God wherever we find ourselves in the world, in the workplace, in schools, on the streets of this town, in the nations of the world. But what I want to do this morning is I want to zoom in what it looks like for us to give care and attention in how we serve one another as the family of God. You know, Galatians 6 says, take care, especially those in the family of God. We read in Acts chapter 7, when the, when the widows were not being served well, the apostles, they figured out how do we serve these people that are among us well. So I want us to really zoom in this morning and think about how do we become the kind of community that serves one another in love, which the world will look in on and go, wow, what kind of community is this? What kind of people is this? Let me go and find out more about them. So we're going to be zooming in on an Old Testament book called Nehemiah. And I just believe it's got so much to teach us about how we serve one another as a church and how we view ourselves individually in the context of a corporate community. That is the church. So let me just pray. Heavenly Father, I want to ask that this morning you would um, inspire us again that we really are better together. That we really are a people, Lord, who have been made by you. A people that are called to extend your kingdom. A people that are called to wow this earth. A people that are called to take the good news of Jesus um, to this nation and to the nations of the world. I ask this morning as we, as we hear this message, God, I pray that you would speak into hearts and minds this morning. Lord, would you use anything I say, Lord, and, and, would, you, and would you use it, Lord, to cut into people's lives this morning and change hearts and minds, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So before we get into the text of Nehemiah, let me just give a little bit of context um, about where we are in the story of Israel in the Old Testament. So Israel gets led into the promised land through the guy called Joshua. They take possession of the land. But after Joshua, what we see is increasingly a people who abandon God and rebel against him and rebel against his ways and, and start to serve other gods. Although there's some highlights in the people of God, King David, the early parts of King Solomon's reign, we see by and large they abandon God. They walk away from his plans and his purposes. And God warns them, he says, if you carry on this way, you're going to get sent into exile. And that's exactly what happens, is the people get sent into exile, firstly by the Assyrians and then by the Babylonians. And 70 years after exile, King Cyrus of Persia says, okay, Israel, you can start to return to the land. And the book of Nehemiah picks up the third wave of returning exiles into Jerusalem. And it really focuses on the people rebuilding the city of God, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. They've rebuilt the temple already, and the book of Nehemiah is all about rebuilding of the walls, these, which were to fortify and to protect the city. And we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 3. We're going to pick up just some bits of it as well. Here we go. So Nehemiah chapter 3. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers the priest and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him the men of Jericho built and next to them Zakir the son of Imri built. 
The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakoz, son of Berechiah, son of Meshezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Barna, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Picking up again in verse 13, Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts and its bars and repaired a thousand cubits, which is about half a kilometer of the wall, as far as the dung gate. Malchiah, son of Reshab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarem, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. Verse 19. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, son of Hakoz, repaired another section from the door of the house to Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. What on earth does this have to do with us as God's people? I am sure many of you, in your devotional readings of the Bible, would quite happily skip over Nehemiah chapter 3 of a list of names that are fairly irrelevant to us today. We've only picked up a few verses there in Nehemiah, which lists dozens and dozens and dozens of people who did nothing more than put a few bricks in a wall. Some more than others, some less than others, many of whom we know nothing else about in the Bible. Many of these names are not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. This is hardly glamorous work. It's hardly newsworthy. You don't see a Hollywood blockbuster being made about Malchiah, the builder of the Dungate. We just don't see that, do we? Malchiah, builder of the Dungate, which is exactly what it sounded like, the place where they took out the rubbish and the waste, the human waste, out of the city. Why did Ezra the scribe bother to take great effort to list the people who built the city of Jerusalem's walls? You see, he wants us to realise that it takes hundreds and hundreds of people who are otherwise unknown to us to rebuild the city of God. The wall does not get established by one man, but by hundreds of people doing their small bit for the glory of God. That's what advances the kingdom of God. You see, building the wall is so significant in their context. This is the city that houses the temple and the presence of God. This is the city which Jesus will one day ride into on a donkey, die and rise again, and from where he will rescue the whole earth. This city needs to be protected and fortified from the enemies who would come and seek to destroy it. Fast forward two and a half thousand years to today, Jesus has established a new community, the church, made up not of bricks and mortar, not a place, but a people who are living stones, building brick by brick by brick and advancing the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 2 says it like this, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, 
like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You, follower of Jesus Christ, are a living stone. You're a living stone, therefore you're called to be a wall builder in the kingdom of God. Therefore, as we look this morning at this passage of Nehemiah, at those who built the wall brick by brick by brick, we can see how we as living stones are called to build brick brick by brick by brick. You see, the chances are, if you're in the room this morning, and you're from a Western culture, you will have a very high view of your individual self, and you'll have a very low view of community. That is the, na- that is the effect of the surge of individualism in our culture, that we would value the needs of individuals over the needs of the community. If you're from another culture, the chances are you may think slightly differently. That's why it's so great that we are people of God together, because we get to learn together and say, what does it actually look like to be the people of God? Not just the people of God, British people of God, not just people from other cultures, the people of God from every tribe and tongue and nation. See, the passage in Nehemiah is completely the opposite to individualism. It's not about the needs of the individual. You're not supposed to read this passage and think about Malchiah or Eliashib. You're supposed to read this passage and think about the community of God's people on mission together, serving one another, building together. What use is a wall with gaps? Imagine if Malchiah had said, do you know what, I don't fancy being the Dungate builder. No one's going to be writing movies about me two and a half thousand years from now. I can't imagine Malchiah thought on my gravestone, I want Malchiah, builder of the Dungate, written on his gravestone. I can't imagine that's what he lived and dreamed about when he was a young man, thinking maybe one day I'll get to be a Dungate builder and I'll get documented in history as being that kind of guy. I can't imagine that's what he lived with and maybe he thought, I want to go and build a Tower of the Hundred because history remembers tower builders. No one remembers Dungate builders. You see, a community serving together means we find where there's gaps and there's needs and we say, let me go and build there. Not just the gap that I'm passionate about, but hey, there's a need over here for the good of the community, not my individual needs. Let me go and stand in that gap and let me go and build my brick. Let me go and build that brick over there. Let me be a living stone that comes alongside that brick because we are living stones. Not because it's glamorous, Wall building is not necessarily a glamorous task. It's not always newsworthy, but because we're to think like a community, not like individuals. Because we're to think like a people, not like a person. And as we think like a people, we go, hey, there's a need over here. Someone's struggling. Let me go over there and be a wall builder over there today. Hey, tomorrow, let me go and be a wall builder over here. Let me go and be a living stone over here. Because that's where there's a gap. That's where there's a need. That's where the community gets established and built. And my challenge this morning to you is, where in this family do you think of the needs of yourself greater than the needs of the community? Where do you think about your individual needs over the person next to you, or the children amongst us, or those who are elderly amongst us, or those that are struggling amongst us? And where can you start to flip that and say, hey, being a wall builder, being a living stone means I'm part of this bigger thing that builds together. As we dig a bit more into this passage, it also helps us to understand that no one is too important or no one is too insignificant to be part of this living stones. You see, we are all 
on a spectrum somewhere of how we view ourselves. At an extreme end of the spectrum, we can have a very overinflated view of ourselves. Okay? And at another extreme end of the spectrum, we can have a very undervalued view of ourselves. Jesus is bang in the middle. He did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. He came not to be served, but to serve. Yet he knew his identity and his purpose. He was so sure of what he was that he was a part of. You see, if you're over this end of the spectrum and you have a very overinflated view of yourself, then what can happen is you get totally fixated on your personal destiny, your personal calling, your personal, what am I going to do to make a difference in this world? And it becomes about you and you and you and me, myself and I, and you forget you're part of this wonderful people of God. You can make it about your own individual personal destiny and forget actually your destiny is part of a corporate body of people it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is displayed on this earth it's through the manifold it's through the church it's not through me individually it's through us together that the manifold wisdom of God is displayed you see if you're at that end of the spectrum you tend to focus on your gifts your skills Fine, God has given you things and passions and dreams. Fine, he's, he's got a plan for your life. But don't get so fixated upon those things that you forget you're part of a bigger thing altogether. You see, two and a half thousand years from now, I doubt anybody's going to be making movies about me or writing Wikipedia pages. But do you know what they will be writing about? The church, God's glorious bride, the kingdom of God advancing and being extended. And do you know what? I'm okay with that. The church will be established. He will use individuals to do that. Of course he will. But it's the church that the world is astounded by. Not one individual. Not one person. Carl Truman writes this. Far too many Christians have senses of destiny that verge on the messianic. The confidence that the Lord has a special plan and purpose just for them shapes the way that they act and move. You see, when I read the Bible... It seems to me that the church is the meaning of human history. But it is the church as a corporate body. My special destiny as a believer is to be part of the church, and it is the church that is the big player in God's kingdom, not me. So can I say, if you're over this end of the spectrum, somewhere, wherever you are, if you're in the middle, then you're like Jesus, and I doubt anyone is quite in the middle yet. One day we'll reach perfection. If you're here, can I encourage you not to have an overinflated view of yourself? But equally, if you are at this end of the spectrum and you say, I've got nothing to offer, I've got nothing to give, if only I was like them, what Paul Dixon brought earlier, if only I was like that person or had the gifts that they had, then I could contribute something useful to this community. If that is you, can I implore you? This passage teaches us that no one is too insignificant to contribute. No one is too important to contribute. If this is you, if because of your life circumstances or your upbringing or your education or whatever it may be, you put yourself in this end of the spectrum that says, I've got nothing to bring to this community, can I say, don't write yourself out of the script because Jesus hasn't? You are a living stone. No one excluded, no one too insignificant to contribute and to be part of the community of God's people and to do whatever it takes to be a wall builder. There are many people, I think, in this room who have put themselves at this end of the spectrum somewhere and you say, I don't think I've got anything to bring to this community. And can I say that's rubbish? That's not the way that Jesus views you. And I want to bring you towards this end of the spectrum and say, come on, don't write yourself out. Don't write yourself out of what God wants to do with us as his people.
There are no exceptions. God uses us as his people. Together. You see, Eliashib, the high priest, could have gone, I've got too many animals to go and sacrifice. I can't get wall building. I've got some animals to go and kill to offer the sacrifices to God. And he said, no. I'm not at this end of the spectrum. I've not got an overinflated view of my own thing. I'm going to go and build. And then we read other people, men of Jericho, brothers, daughters, ordinary men and women, ordinary folk who just say, hey, I'm going to be a wall builder. I'm not counting myself out of serving this community and building together. Which I think leads us on to another really helpful point from this passage, which is not about how much you can give, but about your heart to invest. We pick up in verse 19. Ezra, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section. What a guy! He repaired another section. Come on! Or we read the guy who repairs half a kilometre, and we go, look at his achievements. Look at what he did. He repaired another section, and another section. Look at these guys who just could do section after section after section. But what do we see in verse 23? Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. Maybe beside his own house? We can look at that and go, that doesn't sound very impressive. Don't we want to be like the easers of this world, who can do another section and another section, and be like those sort of heroes of faith? And yet we get this guy, Benjamin, and these other guys, who build a little bit. And they're honoured in just the same way as those who build massive sections of the wall or those that can build another section. The Bible makes no sense of that contribution is less valuable than that contribution. What use is a wall with gaps, even the tiniest amount of gap? Imagine if they'd said, I'm not even going to build that bit. A wall with gaps is no use at all. Just ask the French in the Second World War about the Maginot Line, a wall that was half built across France. The Germans just came over the top of it in the Ardennes. A wall needs to be complete or it's not a wall at all. Imagine if these guys had said, well, my bit's just so insignificant or so small, I won't bother. And there's a gap in the wall. The enemies just come, oh, we'll just go through that bit. We'll knock, we'll knock around that bit. That's easy. You see, culturally in our society, we are trained to value somebody's contribution as greater than another's. And this passage debunks that myth that says you, as part of the people of God, whatever contribution you can make to this community, God values it and God sees it and it's wall building and it advances the kingdom. Malchiah advanced the kingdom of God by Dungate building. Hashab did it by repairing opposite his house. Ezer did it by building another section. And this passage said all of it is wall building. All of it is kingdom advancement. All of it is building the community of God's people. I hope you see this as not an excuse to laziness, by the way. You go, oh, phew, I just get to little build a little bit. It's not a call to laziness, of course. I hope you, hope you don't need me to explain that to you. But Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6 says this, so the people built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Or the people had a heart to work, is a better translation there. The people together had a heart to work. It's not about whether you can build 10 sections or a tiny section. Have a heart to invest. Have a heart to build in this place. Have a heart to serve one another. If right now, because of life circumstances, all you can do 
is pray for somebody, that's wall building. If all you can do is cross the room and go say hello to somebody new, it's great to have you with us, that's wall building. Equally, if you can give more of your time or your skills or your passions or your finances, you can build bigger sections of the wall and have a heart to do that, that's wall building. But don't think that what you're doing is greater than the person who comes in every week and puts out the chairs every single week. There was a guy from my old church where I grew up in who, um, who died this week. And all I can remember about him is that every week he put out the chairs. Every single week he put out the chairs. Bill put her out of the chairs on his gravestone. When he gets to heaven, what's Jesus going to say? Well done, good and faithful servant. You invested with what you had amongst the family of God. He facilitated community week in, week out by putting out some chairs. As Andrew Wilson puts it, God's purpose revolves around hundreds and thousands of unknown influencers working on their small thing for the glory of God. That's what advances the kingdom. What does it look like for us at Gateway? It looks like the person who says, hey, I'll lead a small group for a term so that I can encourage people in life and in faith. It looks like the person who says, I'll give up an hour every week to invest in our children so that they might be trained and equipped in faith and so that parents can be in the main service, enjoying God, worshipping, hearing the preaching of the word. People who give up their Friday evenings to invest in our young people and to show them a better path. People who send an encouraging email or text message to someone and just say, hey, you're amazing, God loves you. People who go across to someone and say, let me just pray for you right now if you're struggling. Wherever you are right now, let me put a couple of arm around you and say, come on, I'm with you in this. I am so with you, I am praying, I am standing with you. People who cross the room to go and engage with someone who is very different to them culturally or socially. People who play an instrument, do the PA, project the words every week that facilitate community. People that make tea and coffee every single week so that we can go out there and have community together, chatting, talking, encouraging, building. That's wall building in our context. People who tidy up at the end of every meeting. People who go and visit somebody in hospital who is sick or who is isolated to show them the love of God. People who sacrificially give of their time and their money. That's what it looks like as us as a community to be wall builders together, to have a heart to do that. Not about how much or how small, but your heart to work and your heart to invest. Can we just imagine that two and a half thousand years from now, someone's reading about Gateway Church Swindon, like we're reading about Nehemiah 3, and it read something like this. Phil and others did the projection... 74 people served on kids on a monthly basis, 14 people helped with our young people, 34 led a small group to encourage people in faith, someone phoned someone to say who was ill to see how they were doing, and to Jack led worship, Al preached, teams of people did refreshments to build community. Alex did the PA, the welcome team built community by showing people a loving welcome, the stewards facilitated the meeting by helping people to see and to feel comfortable. They shared communion together. They visited the sick. Those who were lonely were cared for. People from different cultures built relationships together to show the one new man of Jesus Christ. Teams of people 
help those who were poor become oaks of righteousness. And the people had a mind to work. And community was built, and they realised they were better together, and this town looked on in awe and said, what kind of community is this? And the town looked on and said, what a community. How they love one another, how they welcome one another, how they serve one another in love. In Acts, the world was astounded by a community that served, loved, and cared for one another, where people laid down their own agenda for the good of the community where they were living stones that established the church. Can I just invite the worship band just to come up? Can I just encourage you just to stand, just as these guys are... We're going to go into a song of worship... Perhaps I could just ask you just to close your eyes, hold out your hands. I just want to call you to respond in one of three ways this morning. I want to call you to have a heart to build and serve in this place. I want to call you to value the community as greater than yourself. And I want to call you to contribute to the community in whatever way you can. Not out of personal gain, not because it's glamorous, but because Jesus Christ came to serve and not be served. And he is our example. And he laid down his life willingly. He did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. Can we just commit this morning in our hearts, even as we sing a song of worship now, just to be wall builders in this place, to have a heart to build community, to have a heart to build with a people that we serve one another, that we love one another, that we astound the world by saying, hey, you're over there, let me come and build with you. Just want to hand over to these guys that are going to lead us in worship and then we're going to pray for each other and share communion together. Amen.